Awesome, guys. You can take your seats. It's great to be in church this morning. We're talking about probably one of my favorite topics to talk about, and that is we are talking about church this morning. Uh, I think it's a great topic to talk about. Uh, I was uh, fortunate enough, I honestly believe this, With I'm sincere when I say this, I believe the greatest blessing in my life was the fact that I was born into a Christian home. Um, I, you know, sometimes you hear preachers, and especially at big conferences, and they've always got, you know, amazing testimonies. Um, it usually involves flying on a plane, um, and it usually involves sitting next to some evangelist that prophesies this amazing prophecy of their life, and, and, uh, and God saved them and healed them, and, and they got automatically saved and delivered. They used to be a bikey and, you know, into drugs and all this sort of stuff. Uh, I don't have that testimony. My testimony is that of a tall, skinny, white guy with a short haircut that was just born into a, a beautiful Christian home. But you know why? In many ways, I think that is the most amazing testimony a person could have. And, and uh, if that's not your testimony, that's fine. You know, God has got a beautiful story over your life too. But I'm thankful that I'm born into the church uh, or born into Jesus Christ, and, uh, and that I still, all my life, and for the rest of my life, will belong to the church, uh, because I believe it's a great place to belong to, and particularly this church. If you agree with me, why don't you give me, or not give me, give God a big, a big shout of praise. But we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the church this morning, uh, which involves the local church, but I'm also going to talk about the church, the body. And to do that, we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. If you haven't got your Bibles, the verse will be on the screen for you. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. And he starts out by saying this. He's praying a prayer. This is, he's saying to the church at Ephesus, this is what I want you to grow in. Uh, this, this is what spiritual wisdom contains, and he prays for them these three things, and we're going to pick it up in verse 17. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? There's actually a great deal in that. So let's read it one more time because there's quite a lot to take in. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? Paul is writing to Christians here. He's not writing to Jews. He's writing to Christians. And he's saying, I pray that you will grow in your understanding and your knowledge and your insight into these three things, the hope of his calling, the richness of his glory, and the greatness of his exceeding power. And uh, I believe that those words are just as relevant today. Uh, and so this morning, we're going to talk about those three things. But before we do, let's just uh, say a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for the hope of your calling and the richness of your glory and your power. And Father, as we study the word this morning, I pray, Lord, it will be your Holy Spirit that would open up our eyes of understanding and give us insights into your word, into what you are saying to us in this day. 
And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come into our hearts and speak individually to us what it is you would like to communicate to us about Jesus and God this morning. We ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, well, the church at Ephesus uh, was quite an epic church. Uh, As a matter of fact, um, Ephesus itself was quite an epic city. Uh, Ephesus was quite a large city outside of Rome and Jerusalem and Antioch. It's probably the most important Christian city and also probably one of the most important cities in the Roman Empire. It had a massive temple to Diana there, who was one of the uh, Roman goddesses, the goddess of fertility. And uh, it was, uh, I'm talking massive, in matter of fact, it, the temple itself was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. That's how large and how beautiful and extravagant it was. Uh, Paul disrupted that temple quite significantly when he went there and they all tried to conspire to kill Paul because he disrupted the worship to Diana uh, when he went to Ephesus. And out of all the cities that Paul traveled to, uh, Ephesus is probably where he spent the most amount of time. Now, there was also a stadium there, just to give you the understanding of the size of Ephesus, there was a 50,000-seat auditorium. In other words, there was a Suncorp Stadium at Ephesus, and they played some amazing games of soccer there, and cricket, I'm told. That's uh, historical, look it up. Uh, There was also, though, um, very much a center of religion, a center of culture, and a center of politics in the Roman Empire. And this is the church that Paul is writing this address to. This is not the only letter that was addressed to uh, the church at Ephesus. As a matter of fact, 1 and 2 Timothy were also sent to Ephesus, as well as Revelation. Uh, and probably the Gospel of John and the three letters of John. So we nearly got almost a third of the New Testament being sent to this church at Ephesus. Now, why do you need to know all that? Well, often Paul would write to a specific church with a specific problem, with a specific solution. And he was addressing real-time believers in real time. And when we read the Scriptures, we always need to take that into context, the historical application of that. This is not the case of Ephesus. Ephesus had no specific problem that Paul is addressing. It had no specific solution that he is bringing. Most scholars would actually say that this is just a thesis on the church in general. So in other words, how that applies to us is that the words that Paul is writing here could apply and does apply to us equally today at 2016 at City Point Reckliff as it does when Paul originally wrote it. This is a letter to the body of Christ. And if you are part of the body of Christ, Paul is writing to you. So we need to listen to what he's saying and to what he's praying over those believers. Most scholars suggest that Ephesus, uh, sorry, the book of Ephesians is probably the premier or one of the premier pieces of writing in the New Testament. Of course, they're wrong. It's the book of Revelation, but you know, we won't correct them too much. Uh, let's, let's give them their opinion. Uh, that's how epic this piece of writing is. And here Paul uh, outlines three uh, major points in Ephesians to the church and also to us. One of the major things that Paul outlines is that he spends the first three chapters building doctrine. The first three, there's only six chapters in Ephesians, and he spends half of it building doctrine. You know, occasionally I I, I hear this quip, and I know I'm biased. I've got a bias towards this. I'm just going to declare that up front. But occasionally I hear people say, you don't need to worry about all that theology stuff. Please worry about the theology stuff. It's really important. 
right? And sure, you don't need to get out and do like, you know, epic degrees and, and hours and hours and hours of study, but also just don't go to the other extreme where you don't need to worry about the theology stuff. Before Paul gets practical in the last three chapters, he gets doctrinal in the first three chapters. And so we need to understand what's happening in the first three chapters before we can start getting to the practice of the church. Paul goes into how the church was formed, where it was formed, the history of the church, the formation of the church, the eternality of the church, and out of the understanding of the doctrine of the church, Paul then gets really practical and he starts saying, okay, so this is how you conduct your relationships. Really practical. Husbands, this is how you treat your wives. Wives, this is how you treat your husbands. Children, this is how you treat your parents. Bosses, this is how you treat your employees. Employees, this is how you treat your bosses. Why? Because it's out of the understanding of who we are as a body of believers and the doctrine of the church that we understand how we are to display that to the world through our relationships. Paul emphasizes that in this body of believers, both locally and also worldwide, we are to have a relationship of unity. Unity is very important in the body of Christ. Why? Because it's a signal to the world that we have sanctifying relationships, not relationships that are, are triggered and highlighted by brokenness and dysfunction. Because it ties into why and how God created the church. So out of the practicality in the last three chapters, we first of all, in the first three chapters, we get an insight as to why the church is here. Ever wondered why the church is here? Well, you haven't read the book of Ephesians, have you? You just dobbed yourself in. That's okay, we'll go through it this morning. One of the main uh, things that we see in, in chapter one is that God's plan was to always to reunite. He always wants to reconcile. He always wants to bring things back together. The heart of the Father is for wholeness, is to everything coming together, whether it be heaven and earth, whether it be humanity and God, whether it be man and woman, whether it be Jew and Gentile, God wants to bring everyone together. And often we can underestimate the physicality of God. History would suggest that we have a bit of a nebulous spiritual concept of heaven. I think we underestimate the physicality of God, and we see that ultimately at the very, very end, it's not that us are floating away to go sit on some cloud and play a harp, but the very resting place and living place of God, heaven itself comes down to abide on earth, planet earth. That's a physical place where God will come and He will be with humanity forever. That's the plan of God. We move along to chapter 2 and we see that, that the church and us as individuals are a very integral part of that plan. As a matter of fact, we are in many ways part of God's masterpiece and we are a masterpiece of God. And in chapter 3 we say that, uh, that all that we do in the church is a display of power and goodness and glory to the world, which is why, once again, our relationships need to be sanctifying. It's why we also need to have a ministry of reconciliation, the same ministry that the Father God has, that when we as the church operate in practicality, it's because we're going out into the community and making things whole again. See? Really practical, isn't it? What is our function as the church? It's to make things whole. It's to bring heaven down to earth. It's to extend the kingdom of God. And it's to make things like they are in heaven like they should be on earth. It's very practical, but it's in the first three chapters that we see that in the future, in the last three chapters, 
first of all, relationships. He spends a lot of time on that. He then goes into the uh, spiritual armor of God. We've got a responsibility of the church to hold back the forces of darkness. We really do. It's part of the church's function. As a matter of fact, uh, there's, there's, this, there's this, this kind of thinking at the moment that, that maybe we should just exist in our own little community and not really have a massive voice out into the public. Uh, but in actual fact, Paul is saying to us that one of the main functions of the church is to hold back the forces of darkness. We're going to talk about that a little bit in more detail later on. Uh, and then in the last part is once again to display the glory of God to all humanity. We find out from Paul that the church is not an afterthought. Sometimes we can think of the church, you know, it's not like Jesus was like, oh man, Israel rejected me. Well, I guess I better build a church. That's not how it went down. We read in the first three chapters of Ephesians that the church existed in God's heart as part of the plan even before the foundations of the world were built. Wow, indeed. You and I, both individually and corporately, were known to God and by God and called by God before time began to display His glory. Not only in today, but also into the future. As a matter of fact, we find, we read Ephesians, that we read that in eternity, one of the main functions of the church, in eternity, no longer in, in the church age, which we live in right now, but in eternity, we are going to be a constant display of God's glory to all beings. We find that the call of the church is an epic call. It's a magnificent call. It's a call drenched in God's glory, in God's goodness, in God's ministry of reconciliation. And in other words, let me sum it up for you really quickly. John Stott sums it up this way. He says, The letter focuses on what God did through the historical work of Jesus and does through His Spirit today in order to build His new society in the midst of the old. It covers where we came from. It covers the constructing of the church today through the power of the Holy Spirit, but not just because, no, there's a very specific purpose that we're going to serve in eternity, and that is to bring glory to God. We also, I like how Dr. N.T. Wright sums it up. He sums it up this way. He says, May God make you faithful to His calling, cheerful in His service, and fruitful in his kingdom. I love that. I think that uh, us as believers and as a body, uh, that we're faithful to his calling. We're cheerful in his service. And that we are faithful, fruitful in his kingdom. We need to be fruitful in God's kingdom. We really do. You know, often uh, Jesus talked about the profitable servant, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on as well. I'll just give you a little highlight. I wanted to lay a foundation for you. Uh, before we got into these verses. So understanding what the book of Ephesians is about, understanding the underlying doctrine of the church. I've just given you a real quick snapshot of the doctrine and theology, because theology matters. Yeah, I sound like Dr. Carl, eh, trying to convince everyone that science matters. Well, it's like, yeah, whatever's Dr. Carl. Uh, but theology matters, all right? And it's out of our understanding. Because when a storm comes in life, you want to know. You want to know how to practically apply everything that you know about the church. But if I could sum it up this way, ecclesia, the Greek word for the church, ecclesia, the called out ones, you and I, is only mentioned twice in the Gospels. Yeah. Only twice, and both by Matthew. 
Now, Matthew primarily had one focus, and that was to convince the Jews about the kingdom of God and educate the Jews about the kingdom of God. And it's that author that mentions the ecclesia twice, and that's the only time Jesus mentions it. Ephesians is the expanding of Jesus' phrase, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. You want to understand what that sentence means? Read the book of Ephesians. And so it's with that understanding that God is going to build his church, Jesus is going to build his church for a very intentional purpose that he thought of from eternity past that is being constructed by the power of Holy Spirit today for the purpose of displaying God's wholeness, God's glory, and God's goodness for all eternity to all beings ever created, both spiritual and physical, is how God is going to build his church and why the gates of hell could not even come close to overcoming the work and the ministry of Jesus Christ. I think we should give God a clap for that. But now we've got the theology stuff out of the way, let's get practical, because Paul says to the guys at Ephesians, he says, these are the three things I want you to grow in your understanding about. I want you to grow and increase in your spiritual wisdom in these three things. And the first one is the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling, let me just break that down a little bit for you. I've, I've preached a sermon on this last year about that word hope. And how to a Christian, the word hope isn't wishful thinking. It's not, oh gee, wish, I, I hope, maybe, potentially, possibly. The word hope to a Christian is rooted in the work of Jesus Christ. So it's not so much wishful thinking, it's red-hot expectancy and relying on Jesus' work. His death, his burial, his resurrection and ascension, that is what our hope is placed in. And because it's placed in Jesus Christ, it will never disappoint and it will never fail. And so hope in that sense is not, is not wishful thinking, it's an expectation. And so when Paul says, I want you to grow in the hope of his calling, he's saying, I want you to grow in your expectancy of what God has called you to. When I first became a Christian at the age of five, yeah, my expectancy of Jesus and the expectancy of the calling that God had on my life and for his church was much smaller than what it is today. I've grown in the hope of his calling. You know, as you grow and in your understanding of salvation and the ministry of God, now what I'm believing for, you know, when I was five, I was happy that I was going to heaven. That was my expectancy. I expect I'm going to heaven, but I didn't have much of an expectancy outside of that until I get a bit older and I grow in the hope of his calling. His calling, by the way, is divine in nature. So in other words, even before, once again, eternity even formed, he called you, he predestined you, he ordered you, ordained you before creation happened, that he was calling you from a divine outside of time and space, peering into time and space, calling you by name with a divine call in the hope that we have to work and be ministered to by Jesus Christ in his kingdom, we need to grow in that expectancy. And as I grow, in my expectancy of Jesus. Now, as a father, I also not only expect to go to heaven and to be part of the resurrection, although I personally believe I'm going to be part of the rapture, not the resurrection, but I'll be happy for both. <laughs> Whether I'm expecting the rapture or the resurrection, 
It's part of my expectation of Jesus, but it's more than that. Now, I expect God to meet all my needs according to his riches and glory. I expect that his favor surrounds me like a shield. I expect that he will teach me how to profit and lead me in the way that I should go. I expect of Jesus that he will give me divine protection around myself, my family, my children, my finances. I expect that when I go into meetings and build relationships that God has already redeemed and sanctified those relationships and buildings. He has already given me favor when I step into those situations and that if anything broken in my life were to happen, God would take me through it. He would heal that situation. He would take the brokenness and he would make it whole again. Why? Because it's the hope of his calling. What are you hoping for? What are you expecting for? As a church, as individuals and as a body, what are we expecting as a body? What's our expectation of what Jesus is going to do, what Holy Spirit is going to do in Recliffe? What is our expectation of what Jesus is going to do through the church in the northern suburbs of Brisbane, in Brisbane, in Queensland? What's our expectancy of the world impact that's going to emanate from this church? And that's okay if it's not great at the moment, but what Paul is saying is, I want you to grow in it. I want you to grow in it. I want you to increase your understanding. I want you to delve into it. The first, he actually starts out by saying, I want you to grow in your knowledge of God first. And it's often out of that place of intimacy do we get that revelation. The closer and the more intimate we become with the Father heart of God, the more Holy Spirit is able to reveal to us His plans, His thoughts, His face, what He wants for our life, what what He's revealing, His anointing and empowerment. The closer and more intimate we get, the more empowered we become by His Spirit. The next thing Paul goes on to uh, say I want you to grow in uh, is, is the richness of his glory in the inheritance of the saints. Now this just blows my mind. Do you know that you are the inheritance of Jesus? You are Jesus' inheritance, right? If you ever wake up with a bad hair day, you know, self-esteem's a bit low and you're not feeling that good, you know, you, you, your belt buckle needs to go to the next notch. You're not feeling fantastic. The promotion at work got you overlooked by. And, you know, you're not feeling like, like Top Gun. You know, uh, just remind yourself and remind others for that matter that you are the inheritance of Jesus. Just feel free to walk up to somebody and say, yeah, well, uh, created the universe, wanted to give something good to his son. So he gave him me. God wanted, you know, sitting in heaven. He's like, man, what can I give Jesus? I need to give him something really awesome. So he gave him me. <laughs> we are the inheritance. I'm not, like, I'm not making this up. Like, you guys are looking for lights and light. Bolt light needs to come down and strike. I'm not. This is in the Word of God. We are, we need to understand the glory of the richness of his inheritance. The richness of the glory of his inheritance. We are. We are. The inheritance of Jesus Christ. And I know I made fun of that. I know I made light of that. Uh, But in actual fact, in Ephesians, that's how we get the understanding of why that even makes sense. That doesn't make sense if you think about it at first light. But upon further inspection, as we dig deeper into the understanding of the church, we see in Ephesians chapter 2.10 that we are created unto good works. What's good works? 
automatically we think, well, we're created as a church unto good works, you know, to feed the, feed the homeless, to clothe the naked, and to look after, you know, the broken heart, all that sort of stuff. And that's true, but that's not the encompassing thought that, that Paul is presenting here. Created unto good works is probably better translated in our understanding that you are being created as God's masterpiece. God is the artist. We are the art. And God is creating us unto good works. It'd be like saying, you know, uh, Michelangelo paints the Sistine Chapel, which is absolutely astonishingly beautiful in every single way. And it would be like walking into the Sistine Chapel and saying, Sistine Chapel, you need to be beautiful. Well, the Sistine Chapel doesn't need to try to be beautiful. It was created that way. It was created unto good work by Michelangelo. And it's just like us, when God is thinking about His church, when He formed His church in His heart before eternity began, and as He's constructing it through the power of the Holy Spirit in present day for the future purpose of displaying His glory, He's creating a masterpiece in you and in me that as we unite in our unity through Jesus Christ and become the body of believers and the bride of Christ, He's creating a masterpiece, a beautiful poem, a beautiful song, a beautiful piece of art that at the end of time itself, God can stand back and say to all the universe, look at my beautiful creation, the inheritance of my son. It is his church. We are created unto good works. We are being sculpted by God himself. Some of us aren't so sculpted after Christmas. But nonetheless, we are becoming sculpted by God. We are becoming Created unto good works. It's the ongoing work of the church. And you know what? Sometimes we can get a bit negative on the church, particularly if you've been around for a while. We can. One pastor said, I remember, uh, I remember he said, you know, if, you, if you're going to live in a home, sometimes you get toilet smells. And that's the same as us. If we're going to live, we're going to make this our home. Any church, any church, sometimes you're going to get toilet smells. You really are. But that doesn't mean that we should make the next step to say that the church isn't beautiful because she is. That's not to say that the church is broken because she's not. It's just that the Holy Spirit is empowering and constructing according to God's pre-written destiny over her that she is created unto good works to be the extravagant display of God's grace and glory and beauty in all the universe, both spiritually and physically. We are creating or we are being created unto good works. We need to have a positive attitude about the church. We need to speak positively and highly about her. We need to regard her as the beautiful bride that she is. And sure, I'm not pretending that things are perfect and in any human organization, you're always going to have differences of opinion and occasionally we're going to rub each other the wrong way. That's why Paul practically said, I know that there is going to be strife occasionally, but you need to maintain your unity because look at the doctrine of the church. This is what God is doing. This is what God is creating. This is God's purpose, His plan for the church. So don't let any broken down relationship get in the way of God's plan for the church. God is creating something glorious. Don't let a broken relationship in. Our ministry as a church needs to sanctify all relationships. So when the church looks in at the church, uh, sorry, when the world looks in at the church, it sees our relationships and it goes, wow, that's the way marriages should be. 
Wow, that's the way fathers should raise their sons and daughters. Wow, that's how mums should raise their children. Wow, look at those children treating and, and their parents. What a beautiful, sanctifying relationship, bringing wholeness. That's why when the church exists here, it also has a ministry outwards, not only making us part of the uh, glorification of God and bringing glory to Him, but also in the ministry, when we overcome the power of darkness in the community, when we go and extend beyond these walls, and we see that the darkness has broken marriages down, when we see that the darkness has brought strife into families in Reckliff, it's the ministry of the church that goes out there and brings it back together makes it whole again. Why? To bring glory back to God and to do it the way that God intended to do through wholeness, through healing, and through total peace, joy, and love. I know it's no small feat, but that is our call. That's our purpose. That's why we exist. It's not to get together, have a few songs, listen to a sermon, something social to do before we get back to our jobs on Monday. There's no separation between Sunday and Monday. The ministry of the church is not Sunday morning. It is 24-7, 365 days a year. 366 in the leap year. <laughs> the third thing that Paul wants us to grow in is the exceeding greatness of his power. Now, I mentioned to you before, I'm an old school Pentecostal boy, born into a Pentecostal church. And, uh, and the Pentecostal church back in the 80s, and uh, I know you're surprised how, how old I look, but I was actually born in the 80s. Uh, the old school Pentecostal church in the 80s, you know, uh, man, I, I don't even know where to start. You know, it's just, you know there's, this, there's this constant battle between me as an old school Pentecostal boy and the fact that I am a tall, skinny, white dude with like you know, a little bit longer limbs than you probably should have, you know, because in worship, I want to get my Pentecost on, but, you know, at the same time, I'm pretty much limited to like this, you know, that's pretty much all the, all the moves I have as, as a white guy. <laughs> yes, there's constant battle between, but I grew up in the church, you know, with, I grew up in this day, who remembers yeah. that? Who's old enough to remember that? Yeah, the Pentecostal two-step, now it's the Pentecostal four-step. We do, we do that. Okay, I got this one from Chardon. I think Chardon, because Chardon looks, whatever he does, he looks cool. He can even wear his jeans up to here and still look cool. I don't know how he does it, but he does that. And like, he does this. So I've copied that one now. And I think, well, that looks cool. So I've got two moves now. But I tell you what, the exceeding greatness of his power is one of the signaling uh, sig signals of, of the Pentecostal church. And we should be proud of that because, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people got mocked and ridiculed and had to take a lot of tough ground, a lot of tough ground to get that revelation back in the church. And I'm talking about how uh, in the last days, you know, James actually says in James uh, 2 Timothy 3, 5, uh, it says, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. This, uh, this happens um, in many forms. It really does. And it's increasingly happening in today's, in today's world. You know, I, I, I remember that we've got a friend of the family and, uh, and uh, she's a missionary around the world and she's a dear friend. She's pretty much, she's pretty much a second grandma to me. That's how close uh, she is to our family. And uh, she's been a missionary around the world. I remember being a child, just sitting on her lap, like literally five, six, seven, eight, sitting on her lap saying, tell me another story. Tell me, tell me another story because she would see the power of God move in her life like unbelievably. 
You know, once she was walking through uh, an airport in India and there was a power outage and a, a well-dressed gentleman, uh, with Indian well-dressed gentleman met her, uh, walked her through customs, nobody checked her passport, nobody checked her bag, she just walked straight through. There was absolute carnage and chaos everywhere and out to a uh, waiting car. She wasn't expecting to meet anybody there and um, uh, did her conference, did her thing, whatever she was doing over there, came back, same guy met her, took her once again right through as a VIP. She had no idea. The hotel bill was all looked after. Uh, she came through and she had a couple of uh, bits of spare change and she gave it to the Indian guy thinking he could use it. And he said, she said, you know, it is some change, not worth turning back into Australian dollars. You can have it. He said, I have no use for that money where I came from and vanished in front of her eyes. Same lady was... Uh, was was in a village one day and preaching through a translator and all of a sudden everyone jumped up and ran out the windows. That's not a vote of confidence, is it? I'm glad you all stayed this morning for my preach, all right? But not for her. They, she was preaching through a translator. All of a sudden they all jumped up, jumped out the windows, jumped out the doors. They just, they just ran. She said, what's going on? And, uh, and, and, and the translator said, they, um, they don't want you to know. See, what had happened, they got so convicted through the Holy Spirit about their witchcraft practices, which I won't go into detail about, that they wanted to go and burn all of their witchcraft paraphernalia. And so when she found this out, she went to where they were about to burn and repent before God for their witchcraft practices. She said, well, before we do it, let's join hands and let's pray repentance before God. But before she even finished the prayer, fire from heaven came down and destroyed all the paraphernalia, only leaving a glow on the ground. The increasing greatness of His power. We don't see it much in the West. And, you know, there's various reasons for that. And, you know, that's, a, that's another message to explore. But, you know, we've got to be careful in the West that we don't minimize the exceeding greatness of His power. Because Joel says there's going to be, uh, in the last days, a great outpouring a great outpouring of His Spirit. And in Jewish culture, there's a former rain and a latter rain. And just as much in the former rain on the day of Pentecost, there was a flood of the Holy Spirit that entered the world. There's also going to be an increasing greatness of His power in these last days. In the church. The church is going to have an increasing greatness of His power. But it's being questioned right now. Because why? Because we're intelligent, aren't we? We're educated, aren't we? And so there's this move in liberal theology to say, well, yeah, Jesus was real. He was a historical figure. But Christianity wasn't exactly what he intended it to become. It's all really built out of myth. It's all built out of fables. People have exaggerated the miracles. People have exaggerated the power. And there's an attempt to remove the power from the church. That's one form that they're trying to have a form of godliness, that Jesus was just a good teacher. He was just a good prophet, but he wasn't the son of God. There's another way that, you know, the cessation of the gifts. Say, well, that you know, speaking in tongues, healing, prophecy, all that sort of stuff, that was for the church in Acts, but it's not for us today. No, 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 Paul's saying, I want you to understand that there's an increasing greatness in his power as part of the plan of the church. We need to understand that we serve a powerful Holy Spirit, that the same power that raised Christ 
from the dead lives in you and I. And we need to take that seriously. We need to grow in our understanding of it. We need to grow in our knowledge of it. We need to understand that there is an increasing greatness of His power. In our lives, we need to be seeking Holy Spirit more and more to grow in the hope of His calling, in the richness of His glory, and in the exceeding greatness of His power. Because that is what the church was created for. And I've called this morning Chains of Freedom. Because for many of us, we were chained in bondage before in the kingdom of darkness, but now that we've been translated into the kingdom of light, we still have chains. You might not be aware of them, but here they are this morning. We are chained to the hope of His calling. We can't escape it. It was predestined by God even before eternity began that we were going to have the hope of His calling in our lives. We're inextricably linked to it. We're inextricably linked to being God's inheritance for, G- for Jesus. And we're extricably linked to the greatness, the exceeding greatness of His power. We serve a great and powerful, mighty God who has chosen you, He's chosen me, and He's chosen us as a church to display His power in all of the world. Not just today, but forever. There's this thought. Here's the third and final thought on the exceeding greatness of His power. There's a real move at the moment to silence the church to silence the church, to say that your voice doesn't matter, that your voice doesn't count. And we we have turned a secular state where we separate church and and, and religion, which I agree with, by the way. I, I, I believe we should separate them, mostly because it protects us as a church from the government telling us how to run our religion. That's why we need a separating of church and state so that the state doesn't come in and say, right, church, this is how you are to define your rituals. Or this is how you are to do your Sunday morning service. That's why we need separation of church and state. But don't be fooled. What is a very good intelligent reason to separate church and state has turned into secularism, which is now a belief that the church has no voice in anything to do with secular society. And that is a lie that is silencing the voice of the church in society today. Because my Bible says that we do have a voice. We have an exceeding greatness of power in our voice, and that voice is the gospel and salvation of Jesus Christ. And that when there comes a situation of darkness, whether it's a spiritual force or whether it's just a situation in our lives, God has given us a voice with exceeding power to speak salvation of Jesus Christ into that situation, to bring wholeness where there once was brokenness, to bring hope where there once was hopelessness, to bring together what has been separated. That is the ministry of the church. And as we join together in unity in our own relationships, we are to display the glory of God to all who see, not only in this society, but eternity forever. Our voice is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a gospel of hope. It's a gospel of peace. And it's a gospel of joy. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Oh, we're part of such a magnificent, 
magnificent creation called the church. Thank you, God, for the church. You know, Paul called it a mystery. It was a mystery. Nobody in the Old Testament knew about the church. It was a mystery. It was concealed. It was hidden. But don't mistake that for the fact that it, that was an afterthought. Not an afterthought. It was planned. It was just kept hidden until the fullness of time. And in the fullness of time, God started constructing His church to display the glory of God. Everyone just close your eyes and bow your head. I just want to extend an invitation to anyone who might not know Jesus personally, who might not know what it is to belong to God Himself and to experience that ministry that I'm talking about, to experience the ministry that Jesus brought to our world of reconciling us back to God. Maybe there's something in your life that is broken and you can never put your finger on what it actually is. Well, this morning, here's an opportunity to experience the love and the grace and the wholeness of Jesus in your life. So if you want to know Him personally, if you want to know God personally and experience that wholeness, why don't you just give me a wave right now and indicate to me that that is what you would like to decide. Is there anyone in this house this morning who wants to be part of His beautiful creation, the church, being in Christ, through Christ, made whole, and part of his ministry. Thank you, I see that hand. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? I'm just gonna ask one more time. We're not gonna rush, but we're also gonna move on. Anyone else? That's awesome. Why don't we give another big round of applause for that lady? That's awesome news. God just made another life whole this morning. You know what? I'm also just gonna pray for us, the church as well. You know, as much as we are individuals in the church, we are also a body uh, and an amazing body that God has constructed to display His glory. Display His glory. I'm just going to pray, Lord, that we increase in the hope of our calling, in your knowledge of the hope of our calling, in the ministry of God's good works, which is in us the inheritance to Jesus. And also the exceeding power of His greatness and the exceeding greatness of His power, I should say, in our lives. So why don't you just raise your hands to heaven right now. Father God, I just declare over your church that you constructed in your heart even before time began, Father, and that, Lord, you are constructing through the power of your Holy Spirit today. God, I thank you, Lord, that you thought of us, that you decided to love us, to pursue us, to build us, and to turn us into your masterpieces, Father, to turn us into the demonstration of your glory, the demonstration of your love and your beauty and your grace, Father. Lord, as we go along in our, in our year this year as a church, Lord, sanctify our relationships. Let us build in our unity. Lord, let us understand the hope of your calling the hope, the expectation that we should have in our salvation. God, that we would also understand that we are your inheritance, that we are being created as masterpieces that you are going to give to Jesus. And Lord, I pray for an increase in the greatness of your power in our lives today. Why don't we just start to give a big shout of praise to God this morning? Why don't we start to praise God? Praise God, church. Praise God. Oh, we praise you, Jesus. Awesome. Why don't you put your hand on the person next to you, if they're good looking enough to do so. And say, I'm so glad God built me next to you.